there. And uh, what Peter is going to show us is that much like that children's game, we cannot do church without leadership. You can't have a biblical, thriving, healthy, robust congregation without the presence of leadership. And uh, not just any leadership, actually, what we're going to see from Peter, he's going to define this leadership very specifically as shepherd leadership. As a matter of fact, that is our, our central idea for the morning. That's the thesis from which everything is going to be drawn. Old North Church needs shepherd leadership. The church in general and our congregation in particular has got to promote the presence of shepherd leaders. The question though is, what is a shepherd leader? I mean, amidst a world of greedy, selfish, self-serving, political leaders that are all around us seemingly, what makes a shepherd leader different? What are the qualifications of a shepherd leader? What are their jobs? What are they supposed to be doing within the local church? And then what is our response to those leaders? What can we do as a congregation to promote shepherd leadership? Uh, those are the kind of questions that we are going to dive into today, so why don't I pray for us? Father, thank you for your perfect plan for the church. Thank you for this family, this community of people called away from the deadness of our sin to a new life of abundance in your son. Help us to become a healthier, more mature body of believers because of our time in your word today, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. All right, guys, let's get after it. Go ahead and meet me in your Bibles uh, in 1 Peter chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, grab a pew Bible. If you're using that uh, pew Bible or an ESV thin line, uh, it's on page 1016 in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 5. If you're using a pew Bible and you don't own one, uh, please take that with you. We'd love to, to give you a gift today if you do not have a Bible. So 1 Peter 5, page 1016, uh, let me just read the, the verses in their entirety, and then we'll dive in and unpack them in a little more detail. Here's what Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Old North Church needs shepherd leadership. And the very first uh, observation that we can make from this passage is that we need to be exhorting our shepherd leaders to persevere. We need leaders that are going to hang in there, that are going to absorb the difficulties and sufferings and burden of leadership for Jesus' sake and for the sake of the church. And uh, so we've got Peter starting this section of our passage by addressing a group within the church called elders. Well, who were these people? Who were these guys? Was it just a chronological designation, just the old people in the church? Really, it's best for us to think about elders as the, the normative modern-day leaders within a local congregation. And uh, the structural outworking of eldership has differed throughout church history. It differs depending on the different denominations or types of local church government. Uh, and there are a lot of good systems out there. There really are. 
Here at Old North, we have pastors, we also have elders, and we even have a group that we uh, informally refer to as advisory elders, or those men that aren't currently serving a term. But with all of those organizational structures aside, you know, who gets to vote in a meeting, or which person is assigned to which committee, those kind of things, the New Testament makes a very strong case for a unified role, a single position uh, within the congregation with interchangeable descriptions of either elder or pastor or bishop or overseer. And I think this is a really fun text because it's one of the few in the New Testament that brings all of those descriptions together in a single place. Acts 20 is the other. Uh, you might think of it in the same way that we uh, refer to baseball umpires uh, with multiple titles. Right? So it's baseball season. Sometimes we call them umpires. Sometimes we call them umps. Sometimes blue. Sometimes bum. Uh, but, but the idea is that we're describing the same person. It's the same office. And, and I think it's best for us then to think about elders as Peter addresses them here in our context and, and our pastors and elders here at Old North. And, and with that little setup aside, he addresses these fellow leaders with an exhortation. Look down at verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you. This is an important issue that Peter's talking about. And, he's, and here's why it's so important that we need to exhort our shepherd leaders to persevere. The first is that perseverance is needed when the church is under pressure. When a church is under duress, shepherd leaders are needed more than ever. And we, we really pull that from the broader context of Peter's letter. I mean, an argument could be made that, that the entire letter was a pep talk on how to endure hard times as a church, as a congregation, as a Christian. And so after building this really thorough case study of how to endure hard times, Peter hammers this home to the particular group of leaders within the church. He said, we need leaders that are going to persevere, that are going to hang in there, that will lead the church when it's going through a difficult time. Now, a second uh, reason that Peter says this is urgent, this is very important, is because perseverance is needed to set the tone for refining growth within a congregation. It's the leaders, the shepherd leaders, that set the tone of growth, refining growth in this context, as we'll see, for the whole church. And that, that opening word, so there, is really, really important. If you're using a New American Standard version of the Bible, I think the NASB gets the gold star for translation here because it starts with the word, therefore which is actually the, the Greek translation, and so they win the prize there. And that's important because that word therefore, or so, as the ESV translates it, ties this whole passage back to what was previously said. Now, if you missed it last week, you know that Pastor Al talked about refining growth in the church, right? He talked about suffering and, and the need for self-examination and even God's refining judgment sometimes that comes into our lives as we examine our own personal need for growth. Well, guess where that needs to start? In the leaders. It needs to start in the leaders. I love what uh, longtime pastor and author Warren Wearsby says about this passage. He says, if, if I have any advice or counsel for God's shepherds today, this is it. Cultivate a growing relationship with Jesus and then share what he gives you with your people. That way you will grow and they will grow. When we are looking for leaders around here, and we're looking for a few right now, we need to be looking for leaders who aren't saying that they've already arrived. We need to find leaders who are eager to say that they haven't. Leaders who are eager to lead the way not only by standing on a platform, but by kneeling in their homes, 
leading in confession and repentance and setting the tone for personal and spiritual growth within a congregation. And, and I've got to tell you, this is really hard. I mean, this is a hard dimension of leadership. In fact, it's a, a dimension of leadership that we have to share with one another. From the congregation's point of view, we need your prayers on this kind of stuff. It is hard to persevere. It really is as a leader. In fact, a, a point of application today, inside your compass is a little index card with, uh, with the names of all the pastors and elders. You might even just peek down at it. We put one in every single compass. If you didn't get one, we've got plenty of extras. But it might be a great point of application for you today to take that card home, to stick it on your fridge, to use it as a bookmark in your Bible for a couple of weeks, and to pray for the perseverance of our leaders. We have them organized by day of week. You can follow that or you can do your own thing. But, but we've got a baseline now, don't we, for, for what elders are. And, and we have an urgent need for these shepherd leaders to persevere. But what about their jobs? What about their work? What should elders, pastors, shepherds be doing in the local congregation? And that's what we're going to get if we keep moving into verse 2. We're going to see that we need to encourage our shepherd leaders to the right ministry. Shepherd leaders have a job to do. And as a congregation, we need to be encouraging them to do that proper job of a shepherd leader. Go ahead and look down at the beginning of verse 2. Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And he gives us two verbs just in that little section there that really encapsulate the job of a pastor. The first is that shepherd leaders pastor. I mean, that's stating the obvious a little bit, but we could also say it this way, shepherds, shepherd. I mean, in our culture, in our context, we, we often use the title pastor as a noun, right? We give that particular title to certain people in the church, Pastor Al or Pastor Sean or Pastor Rick, and, and that's fine. That's all well and good. But here and many, many other places in the New Testament, the word is not used as a noun. It's used as a verb. It's used more than just a title. In fact, it describes the action of shepherding the right ministry uh, to the flock. This is uh, in, uh, an imagery, the shepherding imagery that would have been really familiar to Peter. You might allow your mind to go back to Peter's violent denial of Jesus. I mean, one of the lowest points, certainly, in his ministry. And after receiving a beautiful restoration from Jesus, he got a very specific set of instructions feeding and tending the flock. And so this picture would have been really familiar to Peter in his mind. And that's really what pastoring is all about, this exchange of, of feeding and tending. It's about feeding the flock. It's our responsibility to faithfully break out the scriptures and, and do sound exposition, to hold out the gospel over and over and over again because we forget it with laser-like clarity and it's also about leading a flock, leading a congregation to green pastures that are rich with God's word so that you can eat for yourselves. It's not just all bottle feeding, but it's leading you to a place where you can grow and be fed yourself. And, and I love the language that he uses here. We're to do these things with the flock. Look down at verse 2 again. That is among you. Elders and pastors have got to be intimately connected to their people. They have to know the flock, and the flock has to know them. You cannot pastor from an armchair, at least not effectively. There has to be that sense of feeding and tending and loving the flock. So shepherds pastor. They shepherd. They also oversee. The second ministry of shepherd leaders is oversight. 
so there's this really funny paradigm of shepherd leaders being among the flock. They're, they're actually part of the congregation. They're leading from among the flock, but they're also over the flock. So there's that paradigm that exists there, among and over. Overseeing it implies guarding. It implies protecting the flock. Protecting the flock from thieves, from famine, and sometimes even from themselves. Sometimes it's taking the, the shepherd's staff and placing the crook of that staff, the crook of God's word around the neck of one of those furry little buggers that wants to run off, and jump off a cliff, or get eaten by a wolf or something. So overseeing is protecting. Uh, as well as Peter, uh, the Apostle Paul had a lot to say about shepherd leaders overseeing and this right ministry of overseeing. Acts 20, 28, I referenced it earlier, to a group of elders in Ephesus, he said, pay careful attention to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He also told a couple of young pastors named Timothy and Titus to oversee the flock by guarding the good deposit of the gospel and by guarding sound doctrine. So a shepherd is a guard. He's a, a protector. Now, speaking of uh, shepherds, there was an old Irish tour guide uh, who knew just about everything there was to know about Ireland. Old tour guide. He knew about the economics. He knew about the politics. Everything there was to know. He was the best in the land. And as part of his spiel to tourists when they would come on the bus, he would tell them about the work of shepherds in Ireland. And he would explain that the shepherds love their flocks, that they would get out in front of their flocks, leading always from the front, never from the back, lovingly bringing them along to their safe destination. Well, it just so happened that uh, a tour bus was just launching and they were driving down the serpentine roads of Ireland and just around the time that the tour guide started to talk about shepherds, they could see a flock off in the distance. Cool, this is going to be neat. We get to see a flock. Only as he talked about shepherds, they noticed that something did not line up. From a distance, they saw a man with this flock, only he wasn't in front of the flock. He was behind the flock. And he was kind of driving them forward with a little bit of aggression. And, and he was knocking a few of the sheeps around. And he, he, he the sheeps or sheep? Whatever. Sheepai, for the plural, I don't, I don't understand. Uh, but, but he's driving them along. And so one of the tourists raised their hands and he said, excuse me, sir, uh, this isn't really the picture that you're painting for us here. I mean, this, this person is, is being aggressive. They're not really being tender and caring. They're in, they're in the back, not in the front. What's going on? And so fearful for his reputation, the guy said, well, you know, let's stop the bus. Let me find out what's going on. So he stops the bus. He walks over uh, to the sheep. He jogs up the hill. And uh, the people see him having a conversation with this person. And after a few minutes, he returns back to the bus. Uh, he climbs up the stairs, and he said, uh, I've got the problem resolved. He said, this is just a misunderstanding. He said, uh, the man driving the sheep is not the shepherd. He's the butcher. He's the butcher. Now, here's the truth of the matter. I have no idea whether shepherds lead from the front or the back. I have no idea. Frankly, they probably need to do a little bit of both. They're among the flock, right? The point is that God has given the church shepherds, not butchers. And those shepherds are equipped for a right ministry, a ministry of pastoring and a ministry of overseeing. So we need leaders that persevere. We need leaders to be doing the right job, the right ministry. But what's really interesting as we continue on through this passage is that Peter isn't merely interested in the right ministry of a shepherd leader. He's also interested in the right motivation of the shepherd leader. So we also then need to be encouraging our shepherd leaders to the right motivation. A shepherd leader is not only to do the right job, he's to do it for the right reasons. 
Verses 2 to 4 offer up uh, a few of the right motivations of the shepherd leader. Uh, Why don't you look down there with me? Shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So let's take a quick peek at each of these uh, four right motivations. They're also summarized there for you in your outline. First of all, uh, shepherd leaders ought to be willing and not lazy. That might sound obvious, but we need leaders that are willing to lead. They shouldn't be forced or coerced. This makes a little bit more sense as we think about the context in which Peter is writing. I mean, the church is under persecution. He wrote earlier that they need to be the ones to stand in front of the church when refining judgment comes for growth and maturity. That's the leader. So you know, there, there may not have been the same kind of willingness. And so he said, don't, don't be pushing people forward into that role. You want men who are willing and not lazy. Now, parents, uh, you, you may have found yourself in this situation. Have you ever made your child do an activity or do a sport, a child or a grandchild? Uh, We've been in that situation a few times, and while sometimes we have to be the big people in the relationship as parents and ask our kids to do some things that they don't want to do, I think all of us would agree that if our child does something willingly versus being forced to do it, there's a a sense of energy that comes with that. There's a sense of effectiveness that comes with that. And the same holds true for shepherd leaders. They they shouldn't be coerced into this position of leadership or simply because we need somebody, so put anybody in there. No, no, we need willing shepherds. Second, Peter says shepherd leaders ought to be eager, not greedy. In other words, leaders should be quick to give, readily give, and not shamefully receive. The the certain danger that that Peter alludes to here in this verse is to not be motivated by money. I mean, that's the implication there. And the King James uh, translation of this is is very cool. It says shepherd not for filthy lucre. So if you want to impress someone or confuse them, uh, drop a filthy lucre on them this week and see see what they say to you. Now, the issue isn't, uh, it's not refusing to pay certain laborers within the church. That, that's not what's happening here. I mean, both Jesus and Paul both affirm that it's right for a congregation to equip certain shepherd leaders within the church to full-time vocational service. The issue is that leaders should not take up the task of shepherd leadership for the purpose of shameful gain. It's, it's a graduate sitting in the congregation today from high school thinking, man, I could go into the ministry. I could make an awful lot of money. That's what he's talking about here. Even though that's not necessarily the case, there are people that do it. If you want to see a few, turn on TBN when you go home today and then turn it off. Peter's third motivational snare deals not only with the temptation of money, but the temptation of power. Shepherd leaders should be examples, not power-hungry. In other words, shepherd leaders need to to take off the proverbial power tie. There should be no joy or love in lording authority over a particular congregation. Certainly echoes Jesus' words, doesn't it? He said, if you want to be great in Mark 10, be a servant. Don't be like the Gentiles who lord their authority over people. Be a servant. Be a great example of serving others. I mean, to, to my fellow shepherd leaders in the congregation, I have to say, we need to guard our hearts against these temptations. These are very, very real. And yet the application doesn't just stop there. I mean, certainly the context here, Peter's talking to elders, but, but don't everybody else tune out because these principles apply for any person in a leadership position. Are you a parent? Be a good example. Are you a teacher? Are you a medical professional? 
Anyone can apply these different principles of being a good example, being eager and willing to serve. All right, let's keep going. Uh, last motivation there. They should look forward to a future reward. So a shepherd leader ought to anticipate what's coming. It's not necessarily what's in front of you now where that reward will come, but it's a future reward. Verse 4, Peter reminds these shepherds that, that they are, in fact, under shepherds, and when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. The church ultimately belongs to Jesus, and can I say as a congregation in search of senior leadership, that is a great blessing. It's a great encouragement that he is the chief shepherd and that those in these leadership positions that we call pastor or elder or overseer are simply under shepherds. The church ultimately belongs to him, and so this means that he is the one that we should aim to please as leaders. And the great joy of the under-shepherd is the future reward of he who is coming. The affirmation of a job well done. To look into the faces of the people that we've served and that we've encouraged on toward Christian maturity. Our, our joy and our crown, as Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. So we, we've, we've talked about then uh, the urgent need for leaders, haven't we? We've talked about the ministry of leaders. We've just covered the motivation of leadership. And you've all waited so patiently. What about our response what should be the response to shepherd leadership? And Peter gives it to us uh, in verse 5. We need to respond to shepherd leaders with humility. Humility should be the mark of every exchange between sheep and shepherd and shepherd and sheep. It should run through a congregation's life and ministry. Verse 5, likewise, he says, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. So Peter, as he's done throughout the letter, he sets up kind of a general exhortation by giving a particular example. And his particular example here is that young people within the congregation should be joyfully subject to the leadership of the shepherds, of the elders. And, and this is really fascinating, I think, in a culture that we live in that, that really exalts the youth, right, and discards the mature. I mean, when you're, when you're past 30 anymore, you're, you don't really have a voice, it seems like. But within the church, God said it's to be different. He said we're to honor those in positions of leadership. And even though I do think the context merits that this is talking about the office of leaders, I do think there needs to be a sense of submission from younger to older, even in terms of generations. And so I'm thankful that we have a church, a multi-generational congregation. I really, really screwed this one up, if I can uh, give myself there as a vice early on as a Christian. I think I, I had been a believer for like five minutes. I was a teenager, and I felt the need to share in all of my perceived wisdom the uh, shortcomings and missteps of the pastor uh, that I uh, was under at that time. And so I grabbed a few people and would just blab to whoever would listen. And uh, I realized very, very quickly how arrogant and proud and sinful that was. Matter of fact, I remember standing uh, at the bottom of a platform thinking, I've got to go apologize to this guy. And I felt that lump in my throat, but I did. We went, I had a conversation, and I repented, and I, and I asked forgiveness for that, that the younger really should joyfully, joyfully submit to the maturity of leadership. But Peter doesn't stop just at young people. He goes on to say, all of you, doesn't he? All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And the, the word that he uses here is a very, very unique word. Clothe yourselves paints the picture of a servant tying a towel around his waist in preparation to serve other people. You remember a time in Jesus' ministry before the Last Supper, setting aside 
other garments, putting on a garment of service, washing his disciples' feet before he went to the cross, modeling that for us. It's the, it's the same word, it's the same picture that Peter uses. Now, I wonder um, what your typical posture is, personally, you personally, when you interact with the leaders of this congregation and maybe other congregations. Is it uh, this sense of wondering what they've done for you lately? You know, the what have you done for me lately kind of, kind of mindset? Uh, do you come with speculation and accusation and venom? Or is that a sense of, of putting on humility like a jacket, like a garment, and humility marking those interactions? Those are the kind of responsive interactions that Peter calls us to have with our shepherd leaders. Right now, our pastors are reading a great book on leadership, the best one I've read in years by Albert Moeller. Uh, he's the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And just this week, we came uh, to a chapter where he did some good def definition of humility. And I think it's helpful even as we move into the final section of this text. Humility, uh, Moeller says, is understanding that everything we are and everything we have has come to us as a gift in fact, that is our final idea for the morning, that, that we all need to receive the grace of the chief shepherd. Sheep, shepherds, leaders, followers, all of us need the gift of grace coming in the person and the work of Jesus. Verse 5 finishes, take a peek, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another for, so there's the word that tells us why humility is so important, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I wonder if you've ever been in opposition with somebody, in opposition with an estranged family member, maybe a spouse or an ex-spouse, a co-worker. Opposition is not fun. I'm not sure, though, I could think of a worse situation than being in opposition to God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And yet that's exactly what Peter says is taking place for those who have not had an experience with grace, for those who set their lives upon pride. And that's where we are, standing either shaking our fists in defiance or turning our back in indifference to God before we have an experience with his grace. That's what pride does. I mean, pride tells us that we are the center of the universe. It tells us that we are our own means to self-actualization and acceptance and salvation. We are the reason that those things take place. Humility, on the other hand, is the springboard for the gift of the grace that we so desperately need. A grace that God freely extends to us, not only to save, but also to sustain. And if you are here today and you have never received the grace of the chief shepherd, can I plead with you this morning to move from that place of being in opposition to God to receiving the grace of God? It's not a small matter. It's not a small thing. So I want you to consider it thoughtfully and seriously. And here's why. One of the reasons, many reasons why. Because when the grace of the chief shepherd comes to you, everything changes. Your own means for self-justification goes away and all of a sudden you find that you are justified purely by Jesus alone. You are forgiven of every sin. That will change you. Your, your taste for the things that stand in opposition to God will change to a thirst for obedience. Everything changes. So consider Christ carefully and thoughtfully. But if you are there today and say, I'd like to, to take that step, I feel that God is calling me to himself. There's a desire to know him and to serve him and to obey him that's never been there in my life. I've been indifferent to God or opposed to him. Your part 
is humbly admitting that you're a needy person. It's saying you're sorry to God for your sins. It's turning away from that old life of rebellion and pride to a new life following Jesus joyfully, receiving his grace, believing that, that his work on the cross was indeed sufficient to save you, that there's no other work needed, no other merits needed, but his are sufficient. It really is just echoing the words of the song that we sang earlier, isn't it? I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. If that is not the cry of a humble heart, then nothing is. As a matter of fact, I've asked Nathan to, to end the service this morning with that very song, a cry of humility, a cry that says, I do, in fact, need the grace of the chief shepherd because Old North needs shepherd leadership. And he's given the gift of elders and pastors to serve as under-shepherds, under him. And yet, there's a greater shepherd leader that we need, the shepherd leader that's mentioned in verse 4. And so I'm going to close this morning uh, by reading a few words from the prophet Ezekiel. I think it's likely Peter may have read Ezekiel before he wrote this section because there are some real similarities there. And Ezekiel foretold of a day when God would actually come and be the shepherd of his people himself that he personally would be the shepherd. Ezekiel 34, 11. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. I will rescue them. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them, and I will feed them with good pasture. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. Friends, may we see Christ in that passage. May we see him in this passage in 1 Peter 5 as the shepherd who perfectly fulfilled all of the right ministries, who persevered and endured the cross that we might know him, whose motivation was perfect and pure. May we see Christ in this passage as the fulfillment, the one who called himself in John's gospel, the good shepherd. My prayer this morning is that we be refreshed and sustained by the grace of God the grace of being shepherded by Jesus himself, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd. Let's pray together. Father, we come confessing that we are a needy people, confessing that, first of all, we are a church that does need leadership, and so I pray even now for the under-shepherds of this congregation, those that are listed on that card, asking that you would give grace and wisdom asking that you would not uh, allow us to be distracted into other ministries, that you would be focused on the work of shepherding and overseeing. And Lord, that you would purify our hearts from any impure motives. Help us, Father, to be tuned in to the right motivations to serve. And Lord, I pray for our congregation, that there would be a right response to shepherd leadership, that we would not be self-serving or proud, but Lord, that we would be humble as we interact with one another, leaders, followers, followers, and leaders. Lord, most of all, I thank you for the perfect shepherding of the chief shepherd, the one who does, in fact, guard us and protect us, who's moving us along in this life filled with many dangers, toils, and snares, and yet it is the amazing grace of his presence in our lives that guards us and protects us. Thank you that as we think about shepherds giving themselves for the sheep, that in this passage we see Jesus giving himself for us, the sufficient and perfect sacrifice, the one who leads through weakness, not through an abuse of power, 
are being shepherded by you, that you are caring for us and leading us and guiding us. Thank you for promises made and promises fulfilled in the person and work of your Son, our Chief Shepherd, Jesus Christ. With that, let's stand and sing.